Well, good morning, church. I am excited this morning. We have a lot of things to be excited about, right? We have fresh concrete, new rocks to welcome to our family here at the Vero Beach Church of Christ. We have a nosebleed section now. If you show up late, you end up in the nosebleeds. Glinda finally got essential oils blowing in here while we're in worship. I mean, we got it all. And it's not just the building where exciting things are happening. I mean, if you just look at our ministries, young adults are doing more activities than I've seen them do in the five years I've been here. Some of our young adult women got together last night and made pizzas. I don't know why I, w- well, I, know why I wasn't invited, but I wish I was invited for pizza night. Our, young, or our teenagers, 15 of them, served us fish, raised over $900 to go towards our youth ministry. That is awesome. We have... This army of babies that are just popping up everywhere so much that we're like, we can't even wait for the nursery to be finished. We have to have like a pop-up nursery over here in the foyer. That's something to celebrate. Come on. And it's not just ministry. It's not just building that's growing. It's our faith. It's our church family. It's the body of faith that's growing. We need to celebrate with the angels this morning that Elizabeth Wiley gave her life to Christ this past Tuesday. Welcome to the family, Elizabeth. A decision that she said was made for her at an earlier age, and she wanted to make it for herself. And if you're curious about baptism, that is something that matters to us, that we want to talk to you about, because it's a strange tradition that we have. It's something that we have held on to as Christians for thousands of years, and in a modern world, it looks a little cryptic. In fact, it's not just baptism, it's a lot about the Christian faith that seems a little cryptic in our world. Take this one, for example. Do we actually believe, do we actually turn to God when bad things happen, believing that God could have changed those things in the first place. Is that actually true for our faith? Like, we all do this, right? I mean, I do this, and I imagine many of you do this, and we encourage other people to do it. Like, we'll say, um, turn to God when bad things happen, but you're also turning to God with this crazy confidence that God could have changed the thing that you're needing comfort for happening. But we turn to him anyways. It's wild whenever you think about it at its most logical terms. Many of us feel like we don't really have a choice in it. It's how we've been raised. Where else are we going to turn? And maybe you have been in that place before where you're comforting somebody who's gone through some kind of significant loss, and you're saying, hey, go to God. He'll give you comfort. In the back of your mind, you also believe that God could have prevented the need for that comfort in the first place. So are we crazy? Are we naive for believing and going to God in both circumstances? Well, some people in the world would say absolutely yes. In fact, that dynamic, the fact that we turn to God when we're hurting, will we also believe God could have prevented the thing that's hurting us, that dynamic is what has caused many people, maybe even some of you in this room, to fall away from the faith entirely. You don't want to have anything to do with that God or that kind of faith. And between you and I, we can just talk between you and me. I get you. I understand that. We have to navigate through that. I was in college way back when, and I took this class titled Reading the Bible Through the Holocaust. Sounds really uplifting, I know. 
and we were walking through the process of the concentration camps and how people, or if people, were able to maintain a faith in God through it, as people who were actually experiencing it. There's one memory, I won't go through all the details of the class, but there's one memory that's locked its way, it's carved its way into my brain, it's because it's actually a carving on a wall in a work camp over a person's bunk. Now, work camps were worse than death camps. Death camps were designed to kill people quickly. Work camps were designed to kill people slowly, to work them quite literally to death. Tracy, do you have the clicker? I want to show you all this. There's this, over the bunker of one of, or on the wall over one of the bunkers, are these words written here, which you can't read, mainly because you can't read Hebrew, but also it's hard to make out here. But what it says is, if there is a God, he will have to beg for my forgiveness. Let's bring this closer to home. 22 years ago, we experienced the terrorist attacks of 19 men who shook this nation to a core this past Monday. We remembered the events. We remembered the 2,753 lives that were lost because of those events. But we also are grieving and mourning the 1,609 spouses who lost a partner that day. Or the 3,051 children whose mom or dad didn't come home that evening. We grieve as these tragedies hit us. Far closer to my home, two years ago, I received a phone call on a random evening that my little sister had been brutally attacked. Now, her body would eventually heal, but her mind and her spirit are still haunted. And you have your own stories of tragedy. And the reason I bring all of this up is for us to put ourselves in the moment of realizing that today we're talking about hope in God. Not the promises of God, not the blessings of God, just God just our hope in him, because all of that other stuff, all of the fluff can be torn away in one day. In one moment, it can all be stripped from us entirely. And we have to hold on to something. When nothing else is left in our life to comfort us, we have to hold on to something. So we're talking about hope. What is hope? as followers of Christ today, because here's the reality. If we are followers of Jesus, not only are we going to experience the tragedies of the world that everybody else experiences, but if we're truly living out our faith, then we believe we're going to be experiencing even more. We have the burden of our faith weighing on our shoulders. And so we have to navigate all of this with something. Now, it may help you to know, or certainly helps me to know, that the men and women who brought us this message of Jesus walked through similar valleys than we did. They experienced valleys of random acts of violence, of unnecessary suffering, of unanswered prayers, and somehow, some way, they were able to persevere. And so we will today move backwards, looking at the examples that were laid out before us. Today we're continuing in this sermon series, Win in Romans, and we're actually going to be finishing over the next two weeks. We have two more in this series. We're going to be finishing this series in an interesting way. Today we're going to be talking about hope. Next week we're going to be talking about this term, one another. 
Now, if you're visiting with us this morning, we're not looking at Romans chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're looking at it in broad strokes with the themes that Paul is bringing up. And one of the central themes of Paul's letter to the Romans is this idea of hope. Hope. What is hope? How do I obtain hope? What do I have hope in? And how do I hold on to hope when everything else seems to strip away? But in order for us to fully understand this conversation Paul wants to have with us about hope, we need to move backwards in the story. We need to look at the faith and the foundation that even Paul, the writer of Romans, is standing on. Because Paul is standing on shoulders of faith as well. Let's go back to the early years of the early church. Now, back then, there was a lot of tension between Jews and Gentiles and Christians and the apostles, a lot like the tension that Paul brings up throughout his letters, right? It still exists in Paul's day. That's why we're going to talk about one another um, uh, next week. It's why there's still tensions to this day between believers and what we believe. Tensions just exist. But there were some pretty remarkable examples given to us For example, one of my favorites is in Acts chapter 11. There's this early episode of the life of these first Christians where food is about to run out. It's about to go scarce. They're about to experience a famine. Now, back in ancient days, when famines hit, it's not like people had a lot of food and they just ate less. When famine ate, they ate nothing. Like there was literally, you already ate a little, and when famines hit, you basically were getting by. Now, there was a group of Christians a church in a city called Antioch. I'll show you them on a map here in a second. But instead of when this famine hit, instead of this church turning inward, they began to think to themselves, who are the people that are going to be impacted the worst through this famine? And they looked down to their Christians in a city called Jerusalem, and they began this unprecedented move of collecting funds. Now, here's why this is so unprecedented, why this is so radical, is that the people, the Christians in Antioch, these Gentiles, they don't know the people down in Jerusalem. Most of them have never even been to Jerusalem. They're a completely different culture than this church down there. It's like a completely different world, and yet it's important to them that they collect funds. Let me give you a visual aid of what we're talking about here. Here's the Holy Lands. Right here, there's Samaria where Jesus talks to the woman at the well. Down here is Jerusalem. This is where the temple is, was. The Dead Sea, you move up the River of Jordan up to the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus walked on water. Capernaum is right here. Nazareth, where Jesus is from. This is the Holy Lands. This is what we understand. This is where a large part of the Gospels is based. And nowhere on that map is Antioch. This is the part that we're looking at on the map to the right, is this green part. Antioch is 300 miles to the north. In ancient worlds, basically a world apart. Two cultures, two worlds, two churches that would never meet. And why this is so important is because Acts chapter 11, this is the first time in history that we have a record of one culture completely on their own feeling the responsibility of a culture that is nothing like theirs and raising funds and sending it down to them. Why does this matter? Why did they do this? What is the social and political 
brokenness that they were, they were working through because they believed that for God so loved the world that he gave, and so they gave as well. They believed in something beyond themselves. Now, that's a lead up to what I really want to focus on because focusing down on this church in Jerusalem who's already being persecuted for their faith, now they have this famine coming on, and then this darkness shrouds over them that is completely random. Terrible events, completely unnecessary, and the Jesus followers, I imagine, are left scratching their head wondering, where is God in all of this darkness? Acts chapter 12, if you want to read in your Bible, if you want to read up here on the screen, I just want to show you this story, and then we'll move back to Romans. Here's what Luke, this is the writer of Acts, here's what he's writing about the early church. About that time, Herod the king, this is after Herod the Great, this is actually the son of Herod the Great, you know, the one that killed the babies in Bethlehem to try to get to Jesus. Obviously, violence runs in the family. Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, not the brother of Jesus, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Why would it please the Jews? Well, the Jews, remember, they just killed Jesus. They don't like this little Christian movement, so they're trying to squash it as well. They don't want it to overtake their Jewishness. And so Herod is trying to win some brownie points with his Jew civilians. And so he's like, hey, if I kill these Christians for you, I'm good in your eyes. And if he can kill Peter, well, that's second to none to Jesus. So during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized Peter, he put him into prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after Passover to bring Peter out to the people. Remember the last time when Jesus was brought out to the people, what happened to him? There we go. Now here's the part I want you to focus on. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, here is an interesting part in this story. It's one of those many places where the experience of the first Christians intersects with ours. Think about it. The Jesus followers in Jerusalem are asking God to deliver Peter just days after God did not deliver James. Do you see that? I mean, why bother? If God was concerned about Peter, why would he allow Peter to be arrested in the first place? And if, Peter, if God allowed Peter to be arrested, what bother is there to pray that, God, that Peter be released? What's the point in all of this? I mean, are they crazy? Are they as crazy as we are? That we pray to God that he'll protect us or comfort us for the thing that we believe that he could save us from? Actually, we are as crazy as they are. Because, they're, because of their craziness, we are having this conversation right now. Because of the craziness of their faith, because of this crazy message of Jesus, this message was able to survive the first century. It turns out they were crazy, but their faith was not displaced. And yours isn't either. And it's stories like this 
that help me understand hope a little better, that are actually comforting to me. Because the people closest to the action, the men and women who actually knew Jesus personally, chose to follow him because of the resurrection. And just because they followed him, they weren't immune to random, unexplainable tragedy and loss. And in spite of believing that God could have kept those bad things from happening, they turned to him for comfort anyway right after the bad happened. So we may be crazy, but we're in good company. We're not the first. They didn't continue trusting and turning to God because it all made sense. They kept turning and trusting in God because the thing that made the least sense of all, the crucifixion of God's Messiah, resulted in the best possible good ever. And to that degree that our faith is anchored in those ancient events, we too have what it takes to endure whatever, whatever this life wants to throw at us. So when you find yourself praying to the very God who didn't come through for you the way you wanted to, or the way you expected to, or the way that he came through for the person next to you, know that you are in good company. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Mary, Martha, Paul, who we'll talk about here in a moment, men and women who laid the groundwork for the evangelization of the entire world, and their where are you right now God faith, the faith they held on to, even whenever they didn't understand, is why we still have the message of Jesus in the 21st century. So then, what's our part? What's the word to us today? That's the backdrop for what Paul wants to talk to us about in Romans chapter 15. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bible there, there's one verse that we're really going to hyper-focus on that has to do with hope, and it's this verse right here. God says, or Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Now, when you read verses like that, I'm wondering, do you ask yourself, do I actually feel this way? Like, do I actually feel like I am filled with joy and peace? Is that how I would categorize my life? Do I feel like my hope is abounding? I think these verses are extremely important because if you're like me, you often fall short on one of these levels. Maybe your joy is waning. Maybe your peace is not there all the time. Maybe, maybe your hope in something else besides the pain of the moment is dim. And I can't imagine anybody in here is like, no, I don't want, you know what? You can keep joy and peace. I don't need that right now. Like, you know, I'm good with just a little amount of hope. I don't need an b- abundant amount of hope. If I can just get a little piece of hope, I'll be good with that. I imagine this promise, this prayer that Paul has is something that we desire more than anything else. It's why we buy the things we buy. It's why we read the things we read. It's why we work the way we work, because we desire something more. But the world is becoming exceedingly exceedingly hopeless, isn't it? As each calendar year passes, you can't help but notice that, let's just take mental health, seems to be on a decline in all of our circles. We see it in our classrooms, we see it on our campuses, we see it in our streets, we see it in our families, we see it in our workplaces, we see it in our friends, 
And perhaps most of all, we recognize it within the confines of our own mind. You. And many of us are familiar with struggles and crippling feeling that hopelessness brings, and many of us do anything we can to flee from it, to run from it. And we'll go everywhere the world tells us to go. We'll go to social media or smartphones or at least a digital distraction. We'll go to sex or hookups or perversions of some kind. We'll go to drugs, weed, cocaine. We'll binge on Netflix or porn. We'll binge on alcohol or eating. We'll take in excessive amounts of coffee. Anything we can just to push off that feeling of hopelessness, just to numb it a little bit so that we can sustain. And with the words anxiety and depression becoming a commonplace in our vocabulary, we're left wondering, were we in a pandemic before COVID-19 even hit us? And does it still exist today? How bad is this problem? Well, many of you can smell the smoke from the burning building a mile away. But if you're unfamiliar, let me just, a couple of statistics. In 2021, over 73% of college students recorded that they felt a moderate to severe psychological stress. That's 33,204 people. Every 40 seconds, somebody takes their life by suicide. Meaning, just in the time of this sermon, about 20 people have. In 2021, U.S. adults spent 13 hours a day on average with media consumption. Phone, television, computer screen, 13 hours a day. In the last year alone, 10.1 million people misused prescription opioids to numb their pain. I don't think I need to go any further. I think you get it. The world is fearful. It's an unsatisfying place whenever it lacks hope. We need hope. Hope is the source of all of our life, of all of the joy that we can have, of all of the purpose. It is the cause of peace and celebration and joy. It is the thing that drives our pursuits. It's the things that drives our emotions that we're holding on to something beyond the pain that we feel right now, that we see out in the world. It is something that Paul is promising us here. He says, you have access to it. It's right there. It's in your grasp. You can see it in front of you. And many of you are wondering, then why don't I feel it? What am I missing? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Our Heavenly Father longs to make us people of hope. He longs for his followers to live a lifestyle that declares to the world that it doesn't matter what this life gives me, that I can hold on to something greater. I want to break down this verse very quickly. Three things that stand out to me, and I hope that my hope is that you can carry these things with you into this week. Because hope is not something that you're just going to walk away this morning with. Like, oh, great, thanks for the hope. Put it in my back pocket. I'm ready to go out into the world. It's something that you will cultivate over time. And so remember these three things from this verse. Number one is that God is the source of hope. He's not the result of hope. Here's what I mean by that. It's not hold on to hope 
and earn your way to God. Rather, it is hold on to God, despite all of the pain and turmoil you will experience in this life, hold on to God, and in that holding, you will find hope. Why? Because God is the source of hope. I'm tempted to turn to anything else to give me hope, to give me something to look forward to, right? I'll buy new shoes because they make me feel cool. But guess what? These shoes are going to be cool for like another year, and then they're going to flee, and then my coolness is going to be gone, and I'm going to be looking for something else. Yours may be a cell phone, it may be a house, it may be a promotion. You'll grab onto these things, hoping that they will give you fulfillment. And then you'll find yourself in that place a year or two from now. Go to the source of hope, not the results of it. God is the source. He'll find, you'll find hope there that is not disappointing. Second thing to pull from this verse is peace and joy is possible even when life sucks. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but there it is. Maybe you'll remember it. That peace and joy are possible even when life is in the garbage. Right? Because Paul had his experience with a pretty rough life shipwrecked multiple times, beaten, jailed, chased out of town, eventually killed for his faith. The early Christians that we talked about, their life was not pretty on the outside, but inside they were holding on to something that helped them persevere so that we can experience the faith today. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, he's talking to a city, to a group of Christians in a city that's one of the most pagan cities in the ancient world, and he's saying, you will suffer. That is a guarantee. What you do with that suffering, how you endure that suffering, that is up to you. Who you are on the other side, that is up to you. And if you want to experience peace and joy, despite all circumstances, it is available to you. But it's by this simple equation that Paul believes that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And if you want to have everything, there is nothing in this world that you need outside of Jesus. Now that is a full devotion to Jesus. That is committing your life to Jesus. That's giving him all of you and nothing else. That's also a detachment from depending on anything but Jesus for your joy and peace. And Paul says this is how you live. He is encouraging us in this verse. That's how you live your life. Whatever you're facing, you can have joy. You can have peace through it but it won't come from anything outside of Jesus. Last point, in God, there is an abundance. There's an abundance. Paul here is saying that God wants to give you more than the regular amount of hope. You can find hope other places, little pieces of it, little doses of it. It'll last you for a little bit. It'll be a little kick, a little hit that you need to get you through the next trouble, but I promise you, you're gonna be hit again and again and again. God doesn't want to give you pieces of hope. He wants to give it to you so it's overflowing. I always like to imagine a cup that's overflowing. It splashes on the table, and if you're near it, it gets on you. That's the hope God wants to give you, that it pours out over your life and onto the people around you. God is a God of abundance. Paul brings up, let me go close out on that verse. Paul brings up this, brings up this topic of hope more times in the letter to Romans than any other writing in the New Testament. Hope is extremely important to Paul in Romans. It's an important theme. Why? Because I think Paul recognizes the power of it. 
that hope in something is the thing that you need to actually endure. He witnessed it in the first believers after the resurrection of Jesus. He witnessed it in the stories of the Gentiles in Antioch who were raising money, putting themselves to the side so that they could bless the Christians down in Jerusalem who they never met. I think he's witnessed it in his own power, his own endurance. That's why he can sing and pray with Silas in the prison cell as shackles are holding his life down because he has something greater. Hope is not wishful thinking to Paul. Hope is a firm assurance regarding things that are unknown as we wait patiently and confidently for their realization. And you will grow in hope over time. It's not something you're going to walk away with today. It takes action. It takes faith. It takes putting the world's desires behind us and all of the promises the world gives us. It is actively every day seeking Jesus, seeking God as a source of our hope. And there may be some of you here today that you don't, you don't feel that. You don't feel that level of hope. You feel hopeless. I had a text message with a young lady uh, earlier this week. She's talking about feeling of depression, of, of not being able to get out of bed, a feeling. She literally said, I feel so stuck. And there's some of you here this morning that feel that way. You just feel stuck. I don't know how to get to the next circumstance. I don't know how to get my way out of this thing. I feel stuck. So I gave her some things. I said, well, what are you going to do about that? She's, and I'm not kidding. She said, I don't know. I guess I'll just keep trying to push myself through it. And I sent her a text back that said, how's that been going for you? And some of you need to hear that this morning. You think you can pull yourself out of it. You think, man, if I can just pull myself up by the bootstraps, I should have everything figured out by now. Oh, I, if I just get the next thing, the next gadget, the next promotion, then my life will figure out. I can work my way through it. And my question is, how's that going for you so far? If we search for anything, if you search for hope of anything outside of Jesus, we will be left wanting. Seek the source of hope. And what are we hoping for? Well, Paul answers it. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 18, here's what he says. He says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We are waiting for something. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Many of you, you feel bondage. You feel like there are shackles around your wrists, that your knees are tied together. Every time you try to take a step forward, you fall on your face flat. You want something more. You feel tied down. Freedom is promised to you. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even us, with the Spirit inside of us, we equally, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
for in this hope we were saved. Say this with me, church, right now. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen, that is not hope. You can't see in your current place where you are now, there is no way for you to see what is to come. That means, that's good news, because that means this life is not all that there is. There is hope for something that is unseen, for who hopes for what, is, for what they see. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And we will do that together. Next week, we'll talk about how we do that together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this church, this family, this body of believers. Father God, we don't fully understand why we experience pain. God, we pray and we trust that you can change the pain in the world. But God, whenever it hits, however it hits, in the severity that it hits, we will come right back to you. Not because we understand, but because the things we don't understand have led to the most redemption and salvation in our life. God, we don't seek understanding in our pain. We seek hope. The thing that we hold on to, this redemption of our bodies to be made new, the new creation, the heaven and earth meeting to be one, the revelation of all things, when Jesus returns, who he's prepared a place for us, we have hope in something grander than whatever we're experiencing. Father, I know there's people in here whose bodies are failing them, whose life are failing them, whose family is failing them, whose own minds are failing them. So God, help us seek after the source of hope. Not hope in our bodies, not hope in our jobs, not hope in our mental health, hope in you. And my, by looking for you, we will discover this joy and peace that's, been, that's made available to us. Father God, we look to you, and we do it as a church. So Father, help prepare us this week. Help us grow in our hope for you. And we look forward to coming back next week, closing out this series, talking about one another, how we do this as the body of Christ. And together, that body in this place said together, amen.